way. Whoa! Hold your horses. It's time for Kootenai for Kids. Your history lesson in just a few minutes without having to sit in that annoying desk. Brought to you by Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village in Pincher Creek, Alberta. By your education coordinator, Ranger Gore. Hello, welcome back to Radio KBPV. As in Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village in Pincher Creek, Alberta. I'm Ranger Gore Tolton. As we probably know, we're in the coronavirus lockdown. And our museum is closed for a little bit. And unfortunately, that means we can't have school programs. Probably for the spring. Now, but we want to make sure that you know that eventually we will come out of it and Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village will be able to be visited again. For now, we've got some programs that you can visit through your home computer or your personal device. And I invite you to go to www.kootenaybrown.ca and have a look at some of the buttons on there and they will take you to certain places. Like you can get audio tours of Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village and you can also look at all of the photographs of the buildings as well. Keep yourself in anticipation of that fine day when we'll be able to come back again. And we can also take a look at some YouTube videos and um, some of those videos are interviews with some, some of our pioneers that have passed away. And some of them were veterans of the Second World War and other military campaigns. So it's very, very important that you go and, um, and see these people. And even though they have gone, at least we can hear some of their words. So there are, are many things that we can still plan. And Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village will reopen again. We just don't know when. Let's face it, the whole world is like this right now. And we just have to get through it together. And it's very, very important that we keep ourselves distant from each other. We can still talk to each other through telephones and through email and chatting and texting and things like that. So that's how we'll get through this. Don't worry, this will pass. Now, one of the programs we want to do to try to keep your contact with the museum alive is some of the podcasts that we've been doing as Kootenai for Kids. And if you go on to the Kootenai for Kids button off of the main webpage, you'll, you'll see access to many of our podcasts. And there are Kootenai for Kids podcasts, and there are also some of our regular podcasts that are, you might want to go to as well. They're suitable for everybody. Oh, drat these computers. They're so naughty and so complex. Today we're going to do another one. Uh, the other day we talked about Father Lacombe and we talked about the R. Alberta Heritage Series. And this was a series of vignettes that was put together by the power company that was called Calgary Power back in those days. And today it's called Transalta Utilities. And they hired a man named Jacques Hamilton to put together some stories and some folk tales from Alberta. And we've been having fun reading from that and from Johnny Chinook. And today we're going to read about riders and ropers. And those of you that are on farms, you know that it's calving season, so you're probably very, very busy with the baby calves and such, and I hope you're uh, enjoying that. Uh, it was always one of my favorite seasons back when I was on the farm was calving. And uh, 
It was always kind of the promise of the whole winter and that you knew spring was here because those calves were on the ground. And with our farming and ranching traditions comes rodeo. So today we're going to talk about riders and ropers, and I'm going to read from Mr. Hamilton's book. In this, we'll talk about the 1912 Calgary Stampede. Pincher Creek. We want to talk about the Pincher Creek Rodeo. Well, the Calgary Stampede, not, well, not the oldest rodeo in Alberta. There are older ones. It was still one of the, the biggest ones that the, the area had ever seen, and it's still with us today, and the whole world comes to, to visit the Calgary Stampede now, and they also even watch it on TV. Out of this history comes a couple of cowboys that were from our area that did participate in very, very early competitions in the Calgary Stampede, and we have some of those items within the collection at Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village. So if you got a cowboy hat, go get it. Put it on. Let's open the chutes and let them go. The year was 1912. It was the first year of the Calgary Stampede. And there was this eastern lady from Ontario was sitting on a corral fence. And she was watching a cowboy saddle up and board a bronc. Well, that woman's eyebrows quickly clouded with indignation. Oh, look at that pony jump around. And that brute of a man is kicking him in the tummy. She exclaimed. Well, then as the pony did some real sun fishing, and that means bucking up and down, a rider lost his hat, and then he lost, his feet fell out of the stirrups. And then he was thrown, he was looping over the pony's ears just in time to get a cuff print right where Mother used to apply the cane. That means your rear end. Well, he rolled to a dusty stop against the corral poles. And then he slowly picked himself up, and he gingerly poked all his aching joints to make sure he was all still intact. Satisfied, he ambled over to the eastern lady, and he goes, Sorry, ma'am, I didn't mean to hurt the little pony. I just had to get off to pick up my hat. Well, that story tells us that it's easy to be a rodeo rider, as easy as falling off a horse. And that's probably where the whole thing started. Now, the sport of rodeo didn't start in Alberta. It actually was something that came up from the United States and the western states and places like Texas and Colorado. But it sure did its growing up here to a stature unequaled anywhere else in the world. Well, the basic rodeo skills of riding and roping and wrestling weren't sports in those days. They were the natural product of cowboy life. It's how you made your living. Every working cow at hand had to be able to ride a horse that didn't want to be ridden, and he had to be able to persuade stubborn cattle to do what he wanted them to do. Well, the point, of course, was that some men could do these things better than others, and there were others who thought they could do them even better still. That's called competition. And with that attitude around, it was only a matter of time before they put these skills against each other, and out of that came the sport of rodeo. Indeed, by the time pioneer cowboys were moving into the short grass of southern Alberta, it was no longer enough for a man just to be a good rider and roper. 
He had to be an outstanding writer. It was no accident that John Ware, and that was the famous African-American cowboy, he first had to prove himself by boarding and beating one of the meanest broncs available. And it was no accident that his success was followed in short order with a promotion. And that meant he no longer had to ride drag. And riding drag means that you had to ride in the back of the cattle herd, eating all of the dust and smelling all of the things that the cows left behind. And that promotion made him the foreman of the Bar U Cattle Company. And you can still see that ranch today as a historic site on Highway 22 when you're headed to Calgary. The cowboy competition of rodeo has always been a natural as a spectator sport. And the cowboys became highly skilled men to put their talents against the determination of wild, powerful animals. And Alberta has become the rodeo center of the world. Today, there's thousands of dollars in prize money at stake. Rodeo is no longer a place for just casual cowboys. The men who have competed at the Calgary Stampede, the National Finals Rodeo in Edmonton, and all of the other big shows are skilled professionals. And they make their living by being the best in the world. But the best quality of rodeo is still, and always will be, the same as it was the first time a determined cowboy climbed aboard an early determined bronc. Now there's one thing that I should probably tell you here about rodeo versus back in the day versus today. Today, saddle broncs and bucking horse broncs, bareback I guess was what we should call it, we know about the eight-second rule. The cowboy has to ride out eight seconds and then be judged by his technique and how he rides. Well, back in the days of the, before the Calgary Stampede and of the early Calgary Stampede, it was a little bit different. There was no eight-second rule. You had to ride that horse until it stopped bucking. And if it took 15 minutes, that's how long it took. And you didn't qualify until the horse stopped bucking and you were still on it. Then they worried about the judging. Well, the great, one of the greatest riders that they have thought in the world came from right here in Pincher Creek. And year after year, our cowboys, cowgirls, they bring home the top honors in the championship saddles. But few people today still remember Emery Grandeur, who proved himself to be the greatest rider in the world. In a few, in a few short minutes... He gave the sport of rodeo some of the greatest glory it's ever. It was actually in Winnipeg in 1913. And did you know that Winnipeg was the home of the, the second Calgary Stampede? That's right. They had one Calgary Stampede in 1912. But for some reason, they didn't want to have a second one in Calgary. And instead, they held it in Winnipeg, of all places. We'll tell the rest of that story in a little bit. But we're in, back in Winnipeg in 1913. And the announcement was just been made that Emery Grandier had won the title of world's champion bronc rider with a gold medal and a cash prize of $1,000. Well, $1,000 might not sound like a lot of money today. It is to Ranger Gord, but $1,000 today would probably be closer to 50000 Well, the crowd clapped and cheered, and everybody thought that this Winnipeg version of Guy Wiedek's stampede had come to an end. But only Emery Legrandier knew different. While the announcements regarding winners and other events were being made, 
Amory Legrandier walked up to Guy Wiedick, and he was the promoter of the Calgary Stampede, and asked him if I would do him a favor. I sure. I'd be glad to do anything I could for Guy Wiedick. And then he asked me if I could have the big sorrel bucking horse named Red Wings and brought into the arena to make an exhibition ride. Well, for my part, Emery Legrandeur had seen, been all about the bronc riding and had enough of it. And he told Guy Wiedick, and he suggested that he had ridden several top horses during the week, and he had been fortunate enough to win the money, title, everything else, and it was behind him why he needed to prolong the performance by fooling around with Red Wing, an outstanding bucking horse that was owned by Ad Day of Medicine Hat. Well, Emery said, Never will I forget the earnestness in the voice, nor the almost pleading look in the eyes as he replied, Doggone it, guy, don't turn me down in this. I sure want to take a sitting on that sorrel. And I know the audience will be glad to see one more final bronc ride after the last announcement has been made. Go ahead, guy. Have them bring your Red Wing in. You know, old Joe Lamar was a friend of mine, and I hoped all week that I'd get to draw this Red Wing. Let me take a ride at him, guy. I want to square things up for old Joe. Emery's eyes sparkled as he heard the order given. I'll be right back, he called over his, shout, his shoulder. I'm going to get my saddle. Well, the attendants brought that big bronc into the arena and they snubbed him to a saddle horse. And as Emery was putting his saddle on, an announcement was made that turned the inside of the arena silent as a, as a tomb. The new world champion bronc rider was going to give an exhibition ride on the noted outlaw Red Wings, the horse that had killed the champion's best friend at Calgary the previous year, Mr. Joe Lamar. Well, in the stands was Emery Legrandier's wife, Violet, and she turned pale, and she held their baby son just a little closer to her. The area inside the arena fence was cleared, and every man who had competed in that week-long stampede, they gathered up along the rail to watch. Saddling was finished, and Emery Legrandier climbed up on the bronc, and he settled himself in the saddle with both feet in the stirrups. And he quietly told the man on the snubbing horse to take the dallies off his saddle horn and pass the halter rope over to him. When that had been quickly and quietly accomplished, Emery reached over and unbuckled the halter and stripped it over the horse's head. He straightened back up in the saddle and he swung the halter in the air, bringing it down between the horse's ears with a crack. As the snub man loped out of the way, Legrandier, he tossed away both halter and shank, and he shouted, Bow your head, Bronx, and do your best. And he raised both hands high in the air above his head, and the reckless rider planted both spurs high in the horse's neck. And he raked him with both feet from there, clear back to the cannel board of his saddle. As the big sorrel plunged forward, he really turned on the juice. Not a sound was to be heard from the spectators in the seats, nor from the contestants encircling the arena. But gradually, it seemed almost unconsciously. Everyone rose to their feet in silence, spellbound. Everything was forgotten but that drama that was being enacted right out there in that long, bark-covered arena. Red Wings had a reputation as a top bucking horse, and on that August night in 1913, he lived up to every bit of it. With his big head free and no resisting rein, either to hold him back or to assist the rider, 
The Sorrel really demonstrating that his bucking propensities had been overestimated by many who had touted him as a hard horse to ride. He ducked. He plunged. He reared. He sunfished. He leaped high in the air, and he swapped ends, and he hit the ground repeatedly like a ton of brick. And in fact, he opened up his entire bag of tricks as he bucked this way, and he bucked that way, and he zigzagged across and down the long arena. Well, the Grand Deer, instead of doing anything to restrain the bucking horse, urged him to still further turn it on, and uh, hitting him with the spurs, scratching him continuously high, wide, and handsome from shoulders to flanks. There was no time limit set for the ride. Nothing has been said as to when the horse was to be picked up. And after Red Wings had bucked the entire length of the arena, he swapped ends and started his dizzy waltz back toward the upper end, seemingly getting tougher with every jump. Emery still continued to work on him, all the time holding Hans high above his head. Suddenly the horse threw up his head and his tail, and he broke and started to run like a racehorse. Well, the pickup men chased him, and they immediately started to close in on the fleeing animal. But there was no halter or halter shank on the hard horse, so they decided to crowd in on him on each side and pick off the rider. But before these good intentions could be carried out, the grandeur nimbly quit the running horse, and he jumped off and landed safely on both feet. The ride was over, and Red Wings was broke. Well, for almost a minute, there was nothing but silence in the arena. And then suddenly the crowd went wild. They cheered and they shouted in a non-stop tribute to Amory Legrandeur. Legrandeur, he struggled through the crowd of contestants. Stained, trying to congratulate him and made his way to his wife's side. You made a fine ride, Amory, she said with a quiet smile. And the Grandier fumbled in his shirt pocket and he pulled out the check for a thousand dollars and his gold medal. And he handed it to his wife. That's a smart cowboy. Violet, here's the money. It's yours. Get what you want with it. Then he pinned the championship medal on his shirt and commented softly, It's a party medal, ain't it? Violet just nodded. Now on the arena floor, another rider... Clay McGonigal of Texas, he looked up at the still-cheering crowd. All these folks may live until they're old and gray-headed, but they'll never see a bronc ride like that again. Well, with so many greats, it's easy to understand why today only a few people still remember a little cowboy from Pincher Creek. But some of Emery Legrandier's stuff is in the collection of the Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village, and you can see his own cowboy boots right down there in the Walrond Ranch. So some of you may wonder, what is the Calgary Stampede? Well, you probably have heard about it all over the news, sometimes for the wrong reasons. But how did it start? Well, around Stampede time in July in Calgary, every year you can find a few sentimentally superstitious cowboys who have claimed they've seen a ghost prowling the grounds at night. And they'll tell you it's not a frightening ghost. Far from it. It's just Guy Wiedek back to make sure his dream is still doing well. Well, in 1908, Guy Wiedek, born in New York, New York State, but living in Wyoming as a cowboy, he came into Calgary as a performer with something called a Wild West show, and it was called the 101 Ranch Show. 
And while West shows were something that has kind of gone, it's been replaced by rodeo, but it was the kind of things where they used to show a lot of people riding horses really fast and doing a lot of trick shooting and things like that. Well, Guy Wiedek took one look at the frontier city of Calgary. It was much, much smaller than it is now. But he decided it would be the perfect place to stage the Western show to end all Western shows. The greatest rodeo and fair in the world. Well, Wiedek, he told one of his friends. Well, Wiedek, he decided to tell one of his friends about it. And his friend was a young cowboy by the name of Tom Mix. But everyone else just seemed totally immune to stampede fever. Wiedek had this idea of offering a rodeo show of unheard of prize money and a big publicity campaign. Not too many people wanted to hear about it, and they rejected his idea. He talked to a man named Ernie Richardson, who ran the Calgary Exhibition. And that was a show usually where uh, farmers would come in and they'd show off their prize animals and some of their prize grains and awards would be held out. That was usually held in the fall. And Ernie Richardson just looked at this young cowhand and he just shook his head and said, No, thanks. Well, there was Harry McMullen, and this was a cowhand man who had taken over the job of being the general live stock agent for the Canadian Pacific Railway. And that meant he was the man who was in charge of shipping cattle on the railroad back in the days when, you, when they did such a thing. Well, he was sympathetic to the, uh, the idea, but he said that Weedick was premature. He was just a little too early. Calgary wasn't ready for the greatest outdoor show in the world. While discouraged... Weedick left town. Now what happened to his friend Tom Mix? Well, he forgot about the rodeo scheme, and he went to Hollywood, and he became one of the first of the greatest cowboys that was uh, to perform in, in the silent movies. So one of the first Western actors. Well, Guy Weedick ha had married, and her name was Flores Ledoux. Flores was also a trick roper and rider. So they went and took their ideas and their tricks and got to the vaudeville. And vaudeville was basically touring rodeos and touring other places with rope tricks and Wild West stunts, a thing called roping and gab. And that meant that you did rope tricks and, and during it you told jokes and, and told funny stories and things like that. And they went all over the, the United States and Canada with, this, uh, with their little show. Three years after... Guy and Flores were back in Calgary in 1911, and Guy got a letter from Harry McMullen, and he asked Weedick to bring that, that idea of the, the big rodeo back to Calgary. See, there was a land boom on, and that meant a lot of people were moving into the Calgary area, and they were buying up uh, farm property, and they were buying up town lots in the city, and oil wells were starting to become a thing as well. So there was money around, and there was enthusiasm for new ideas. So in early 1912, Guy Wiedek was back and brought his plans with him. And he stopped in Medicine Hat for a long talk with the rancher Ad Day. That was the man who had owned Red Wings. And he told, Ad Day told Wiedek that he had enough stock to supply a hundred rodeos. And he told Wiedek that he should sell his idea to the Big Four. That was the top four ranchers in Alberta. There was Pat Burns, and Pat Burns would start the Burns Packing Company. And there was A.E. Cross, and he started the A7 Ranch near Nanton. 
There was George Lane, who by then owned the Bar U Ranch at Longview, and there was Archie McLean, who had first started ranching in Tabor, and he ranched very near Pincher Creek on the, on the Pecani Reserve near Brockett. Well, Harry McMullen was in the Alberta Hotel in Calgary, and I should tell you, that's Calgary's Alberta Hotel, not our Pincher Creek Alberta Hotel. And he decided also to try to get Wiedek an interview with the Big Four. Wiedek tried again to talk to the managers of the Calgary Exhibition, but again, they weren't interested. So Wiedek went back to the Alberta Hotel, and he met a man named Alec Fleming, who knew George Lane, and he worked for him. And the message was simple. George Lane wanted to talk to him about this wild idea he had for the greatest outdoor show on earth. When Guy appeared for the interview, he found not just George Lane, but Pat Burns and A.E. Cross as well. Wiedek's enthusiasm was very catchy. He could talk fast and he could get you excited about his ideas. But before he knew what happened, the three cattle kings were at the point where they were just simply asking, how much is it going to cost? Well, Guy had this idea of dividing things by three, so he suggested $60,000. In a matter of minutes, he was on his way to the bank with those ranchers, and they set up a credit of him, for him of $100,000. Now, Archie McLean from Pincher Creek, the fourth of the big four, he had simply been written in without his knowledge, and he wasn't real thrilled when he heard about that. But he soon came on board. When the big four realized, perhaps better than Weedick himself, was that they'd found the right man with the right idea at the right time. Well, Guy did very good on advanced ticket sales. So many people bought tickets that he didn't have to touch the $100,000 credit. So that's pretty good showmanship. And he picked the name of Stampede. He was chosen because it had been used before in the town of Raymond. And today Raymond still holds its Raymond Stampede. And it just sounded better on the posters than just saying rodeo. Wiedek had one instruction from the Big Four, and that was to make his show the greatest thing of its kind in the world. Well, the stampede was scheduled for the week of September 2nd. We usually think of July for the Calgary Stampede, but the first one was in September. Well, Victoria Park was invaded by carpenters who built bleacher seats, and Wiedek, he found riders and ropers from all over North America. And he told newspapers of, and sports editors to drag all about his idea. And the idea was to get visitors to come from thousands of miles away. And as stampede time drew near, excitement in Calgary had built to a fever pitch. And soon they realized there was going to be more people in Calgary than the new seats could handle. Pretty soon they had to call all over the country to find tents. And they made a tent city all across the Elbow River. And the hotels were full. But at the same time, the Calgary Herald noted that there might be something bad coming out of this publicity campaign. And it said, Warnings from an underground source which conveyed to the police inside information have been sounded. Reports from 2,000 miles away have reached Police Chief Cuddy regarding the advent of dangerous crooks who are coming for the stampede. From all over Canada and the northern states, talented pickpockets and confidence men are planting a sortie. The chief has been warned in time. 
When the stampede opens, half a dozen of the most astute detectives in the employ of the Pinkerton Detective Bureau will be in Calgary to assist the locals with rounding up the bad men. The, the newspapers always like to make something sound bad. Harry McMullen, he was a little more optimistic. He said, the pageant on opening day will be the biggest thing that Canada has ever seen. There are now in the city waiting for the competitions. Cowboys and cowgirls from Texas, Colorado, Utah, Montana, Idaho, New Mexico, Washington, and Oregon. On August 31st, the Calgary Herald reported that one special train to the Calgary Stampede left Spokane today, and a second will follow on September 2nd. The first started from Cheyenne, and the second will be made up at Pendleton, Oregon. By Monday, the heart of Calgary will be a blaze of different colors, and His Royal Highness, the Duke of Connaught, a member of the royal family, will arrive in the city in the vortex of the greatest celebration that has ever taken place in the West. To open the stampede, we decided to have a parade. And we still have parades for the Calgary Stampede on opening days. When that parade hit the streets of Calgary on September 2nd, we had immediate confirmation of the soundness of Guy Wiedek's dream. In those days, Calgary only had about 61,000 people. But an estimated 75,000 people were packed along the parade route. So it was all of Calgary and a little bit more. Now, Wiedek didn't want just rodeo riders at, at his stampede. And he spent months of careful negotiations with every one of the First Nations tribes in Alberta. And these negotiations paid off as more than 2,000 indigenous peoples rode the streets of the city in their full ceremonial regalia. The Herald reporter wrote about the wonder of the spectacle of 2,000 of our First Nations people smeared with paint and decked in the attire passing through the streets of Calgary yesterday morning. Authentic and seasoned opinions would have it that never in all the world has there been such a, ga a gathering of the picture picturesque aboriginals who a few short years ago roamed these western foothills. Verily, it was a spectacle that money could not present. Perhaps never again will those who watched yesterday's procession have a similar opportunity afforded them. But the Calgary Herald was wrong, and every year the Treaty 7 and other First Nations still come to the Calgary Stampede, and in fact, they, they set up a village on the Stampede grounds. When the parade was over, 50,000 people crushed into Victoria Park. Once he got them that far, Guy Wiedek could relax a little and leave the rest to the talent in the show. And what talent it was. The first of the two special trains from the United States had brought in from the big Drumheller Ranch in Washington 15 of its best riders in that part of the country, including the 1910 world champion Burt Kelly. Already on hand was every top rider on the continent, there was Joe Gardner of Texas, Ed Eccles of Arizona, George Weir of New Mexico, Tex McLeod of San Antonio, Harry Webb of Wyoming, Art Accord of Portland, Oregon, Otto Klein of Montana, Charlie Tipton of Denver, Colorado, Doc Pardee 
and O.K. Lawrence from Oklahoma. There was also a large contingent from Mexico headed by Senor Esteban Clemento. And there were for me female competitors as well, organized by Florence Ledoux. They were doing trick and fancy roping, cra- r- roping trick under the name of Florence Ledoux, who was destined to win the trick and fancy roping crowd. And in all, there were 150 competitors. Ad Day was, had promised Guy Wiedek that he had enough stock to make the competitors work for their prize money, and he lived up to the promise. Ready to go into the chutes was the biggest herd of outlaws, from wild and rangy Texas Longhorns to top bucking bronc. And then Day had also awaited the greatest bucking horse in the world, that jet plot terror called Cyclone. If Guy Wiedek had thought he'd made it to the end of the first day, he learned differently the next morning when he woke up to the worst thing ever, bad weather. Rain was falling in sheets, and so was attendance, because nobody wanted to sit out in the bleachers in the rain and the mud, and the infield itself was just full of muck. On Wednesday, the third day of the stampede, it was no better. And neither was Thursday, and that's when the royal family arrived. Also adding to Guy Wiedek's worries was the fact that the Calgary's hotels and, and restaurants just weren't up to hope to serving the crowd. The Calgary Herald said it is estimated that up to 20,000 visitors are already there in Calgary. Yesterday was the busiest day that restaurants and hotels have ever had. From 6 until 9 o'clock last night, it was impossible to get into a restaurant. And at 9 o'clock, many of the waiting hundreds were saddened when the proprietors opened their doors and announced that every digestible had been consumed. There was no food in the restaurants. But the show goes on, and on Thursday, when the Duke of Connaught and Princess Patricia arrived, the royal party had hardly settled into its box when the rain started again. Weedix finally moved the show inside, into the Victoria Park Arena, but there wasn't enough room, and soon thousands of people were inside, scrambling for seats. Watching show the show, though, the Duke of Connaught was so delighted he decided to make to return to the grounds the next day. Well, that marked a turning point for the show, because by Friday morning, the rain had stopped and the crowds were back. By the time the stampede ended, Weedick could justifiably claim it was a success, an unqualified success. Taming the Cyclone. While that first Calgary stampede in 1912 was seven days of thrills and spills, and what we haven't said was that most of the thrills and spills were provided by a snorting, spinning, wild-eyed bundle of black dynamite called Cyclone. Cyclone the Bucking Horse had come to the stampede as one of the best in the world, and as the show moved into its final day, his record was intact. A total of 129 cowboys had tried to get up on him and stay on him. 129 men ended up in the dust. The only man in the world anyone rated as having the chance to beat Cyclone was a young indigenous cowboy from McLeod named Tom Three Persons. But when that closing Saturday dawned and nobody had ridden Cyclone, Tom Three Persons wasn't available. And in fact, they found him under lock and key in the Calgary jail. Well, in Victoria Park, the finals in the Buck and Horse contest were about to begin. 
and Cyclone's record of 129-0 to zero was about to permit him to withdraw the, from the competition again as the undisputed champ. But there was a man working for the, the government with the Department of Indian Affairs by the name of Glenn Campbell. Like a No, not that Glenn Campbell. He wouldn't hear of Tom Three Persons not being able to get onto the onto Cyclone. So red-faced with anger, he kept insisting that Tom Three Persons should be given that chance. Somehow word got to the Mounties, and they agreed to open up the jail and let an Alberta cowboy show a crowd how to ride. With the finals already underway, Glenn Campbell posted a cash bond and got Tom Three Persons to the ground post-hate. A surprised crowd cheered when the announcer gave word that Tom Three Persons of McLeod was about to ride in the finals. But the cheers gave way to apprehensive groans. Mm. When the announcer added that Tom would be climbing on the back of Cyclone, even the other rodeo cowboys looked sympathetic. But the only person who didn't seem worried about it at all was Tom Three Persons himself. Well, the Calgary Herald recorded the scene. The horse thrown to the ground, Tom jumped across him, placed his feet in the stirrups, and with a wild whoop, the black demon was up and away with the Indian rider. Bucking, twisting, swapping ends, and resorting to every artifice of the outlaw. Cyclones swept across the field. The Indian was jarred from one side of the saddle to the other. But as the crowd cheered themselves hoarse, he settled every time in the saddle and waited for the next lurcher twist. His bucking unable to un- dislodge three persons, Cyclone stood at rest and reared straight up. Once it looked that Tom was to follow the fate of his predecessors, he recovered rapidly, and from that time forward, Cyclone bucked until he was tired. Tom had mastered the bronc. Thousands created a pandemonium of applause that was not equaled all week. Princess Patricia and the Duke of Connaught in the royal box leaned far out over the railing, laughing and applauding. It was a thrilling moment, and in it, Tom Three Persons had captured the championship of the world for himself and for Canada. Now, even though Tom had to return for jail for a while, he emerged as the pride of Alberta's indigenous community and the first to win the Bronc Riding Championship of the World. Even today, more than a century later, his picture hangs in the community hall on the Blood Reserve at Standoff, a permanent tribute to a man who walked out of a jail cell to tame a cyclone. And when you visit Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village in the First Nations Gallery, we have boots, a quirt, a shaps, and many other items that had originally belonged to Tom Three Persons, that first bucking horse championship rider of the Calgary Stampede. Well, in 1913, even though the show had made money, Calgary wasn't quite as receptive, and we took his show to Winnipeg. As we've said, the 1913 Calgary Stampede was actually in Winnipeg, and it gets better than that. Or worse for Guy Wheat, because then the First World War came along and it put an end to any entertaining shows in Canada. Nobody was interested in rodeo. 
Well, he made one more try in the United States in 1916 in his hometown of Rochester, New York. So there you are. The first, the third Calgary Stampede was held in New York. New York City? New York City! Get a rope. But it wasn't any better. It was still a financial flop. But then in 1919 came a different thought of mine. The First World War was over, and we had passed a pandemic of what was known as the Spanish flu, which had, which had ravaged Alberta just like everywhere else in the world. But the pandemic was passed, and the war was over, and people wanted to celebrate again. And that sounds a little bit like we're going through here, through now. So again, with the backing of the Big Four, Weedick and the Stampede returned to Calgary for what was called a victory stampede. And was it ever. And it was held over and over again. And finally in 1923, the Calgary Exhibition had a change of heart and they merged with the Calgary Stampede. And that has, and now what is known as the Calgary Exhibition and Stampede officially is a permanent part of the scene. Guy Wiedek remained in charge as arena director until he retired in 1932. And in 1952, he was back to present the prizes to the victors in the 40th Calgary Stampede. The following year, Guy Wiedek's career came to an end. And at his funeral, was led a riderless horse with his boots reversed in his stirrups. And at last, it seemed to end. But does that account for the gray ghost that wanders the stampede grounds, smiling contently at a dream that came true? And if you're still with me, I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Kootenai for Kids and Radio KBPV. And I hope you'll be back, back again for another go-round in this wonderful world that we call history. Bye, everybody. Happy trails to you until we meet Well, that's all for now, folks. Tune in again for more stories from Kootenai for Kids. You'll find us on your favorite podcatcher or set your interwebs on kootenaibrown.ca.